Welcome back to that Rugby Union podcast. You are joined virtually hey. by myself and Husey yet again. Hello. COVID hasn't struck us down, but it's kept us apart. Yeah. My partner has COVID, causing the podcast to move to a virtual setting. Yeah, tell Artie I'm really sorry to hear that he's got COVID. <laughs> yeah, I, that would be absolutely disgusting if that happened. He's a healthy individual, Artie Savier, I tell you that. Yeah. Um, so, no, uh, my real-life partner, not my dreams partner, uh, <laughs> has, has COVID. And so we were planning on doing the World Rugby um, Awards, the Sports Booth World Rugby Awards, um, but that has been postponed to next year. So stay tuned for that one. Yeah. Um, but just discussing before the podcast, there is actually quite a lot happening in the rugby world this week. Uh, just minimal on the field, and if it is on the field. It's all happening over in Europe and the European Cup competition. Uh, so, I mean, let's get started with what I've put as the main topic this yeah. week, and it's it's Wayne Barnes, a, a controversial figure. Uh, in the sports, just purely for some of the decisions he's made against the All Blacks in the past, but now it's the uh, abuse that he's receiving, uh, specifically from passionate South African fans who know how to overstep the line. Yes, uh, I've seen a little bit of this, particularly uh, some of the finger pointing that's gone on uh, with this. But uh, why don't you give us a bit of a, a overview, and then we'll drill into the what I think is probably the the key issue in, in, in this case, the uh, the main thing that does need to be discussed. Yes. So basically after um, the France, no, sorry, not the France. Yes, the France versus uh, South Africa game, mm. um, which Wayne Barnes refs, he uh, received some abusive messages, messages on social media, uh, not just directed towards him, but directed towards his wife and kids. Yeah. Um, some horrific messages um, from what he said. No, he didn't release any of them. Um, but, yeah, he said it's been a tough couple of weeks, basically, um, on a rugby podcast, and he had thoughts of quitting rugby entirely, which uh, is never good because referees are so important to the game of rugby as much as we sometimes have distaste to their decisions, uh, it is of vital importance to have more and more referees in the game and uh, that gives us a good chance to you know, create an even bigger talent pool of referees. So yeah, basically from that game, South African fans that weren't too happy with some of the decisions he made decided to send him horrific messages, um, particularly against his wife, uh, threatening assault, sexual assault, um, threatening to burn down their house and kill their children, like it's it's horrendous. It's just pretty bad in human behaviour over a fucking game. <laughs> yes, hundred um, percent. And a lot of this has now, I guess, brought up more conversation around Razi Erasmus and his, I guess, leadership and his ability at questioning referees you know we all like to look at him and he's a character of the sport and I would tend to say he does it in good faith that he's poking out and pulling these decisions out like he never actually goes after a specific referee he goes after the decisions they've made but he is the ringleader of this now South African rugby circus that we're getting There's nothing like an irate South African online uh, <laughs> yeah it is look fans of all sport are 
vocal and can be abusive. It's not limited to one nation. It's not limited to one sport. It's not even limited to one gender, although it is mainly men doing it, I will say. It's the greater proportion is very angry men online uh, saying these things. For a bit of uh, a personal touch to this story as well, so I'm quite passionate about this because back in the day, I used to be quite involved with competitive uh, video games and things like that. I used to commentate competitive video games. But I was also involved in some of the admin side of uh, of an Australian league for an eSport. Um, and as with any uh, position where you have some power, you've got to make some decisions, and occasionally those decisions will affect other people. You have to make rulings on things, you know, much like a referee does. Uh, and you you won't please everybody. Sometimes rulings will go against people, or you'll just make decisions that don't make a particular person happy for whatever reason. And I copped a, a lot of abuse from that. And this is a relatively small game in the context compared to, you know, worldwide sport things like that. But to the point where people were finding my Facebook, people were finding my family's Facebook, and uh, sending not messages as bad as it, but still sending messages to members of my family or commenting on their posts and things like that. Luckily, uh, none of my family members were tech savvy enough to ever pick up on any of it. But still, it's quite disconcerting to, to think about that. Now, when you amplify that to the scale of world rugby, uh, it can be, I, I can only imagine the, the, the terror that they would have felt. And it, it sounds, you might think, oh, that's a bit silly. It's just people online saying stuff. But when you hear when you receive a message from someone threatening you like i received i think two or three threatening messages right not very many in the context of this but those two or three were enough for me to be to feel worried all right so i can only imagine what the the barnes are are going through with this with with floods of messages and and targeting not just them but their family and their kids and things like that as well like it is just it's just it's it's horrific to to experience and as i said i felt terrified and i was on such a small scale compared to this so i can only imagine what it's like amplified to this level i was also watching the soccer world cup recently and the level of i i think it's it's wild to say but even the level of abuse suffered by rugby referees takes another step up when you go to soccer because of the international nature like how big that sport is it is the biggest sport in the world and it, particularly the world cup i sit there thinking who would ever want to be a world cup referee because any decision you make is just going to be you're going to cop so much flack for it and the abuse that people will direct you for, towards that so and, and we see examples all the time in rugby league of suburban rugby matches getting out of hand and players attacking referees and people storming under the pitch and things like that and overall we too are as critical of referees and decisions as anyone right i even have a french referee i will no longer name but <laughs> that's it we take we we chat our piece but we don't go and threaten a referee we don't send the messages or say anything like that like you you can express your frustration without threatening someone without attacking them all right like yep. calm it down a little bit i am passionate about sports i get frustrated by decisions as anyone i get angry but i do not that's next level guys and it's, it's just not acceptable yeah and i mean it was it was quite disheartening when i read a column on um someone i can't remember who wrote the uh, article about how rezzy is to partially if not majority blame for what wayne barnes received because they're working off the back of of his 
videos and stuff like that. Now, the issue with that was the comments in that Facebook, you know, section, it was half and half split, which should never be the case, but it was kind of like, <laughs> the one of the comments was, as a referee, they should be held accountable. If I, you know, do my job poorly, I should be held accountable. I was like, you don't go to work and do a shit job and then get told that they're going to rape your wife or yeah. burn down your house and kill your kids. No one does that. Like, I just couldn't fathom what was going through that cement head of that commenter commentator to do that. And then the 200-odd people who liked it, I just sat there and I was like, is he serious? Like, we can't be serious that you will want to go to your job, say you have a shit job, say you do a shit job, you have one day off, you know, you have one day where you do a shit job. I'm not even saying Wayne Barnes did a shit job in the France versus South Africa game. That's yeah. the issue here. He didn't even do a shit job. So let's just say you have a job, like you said, where you've got to make some decisions and you piss people off and they decide to go to that extent. And it's just like, I, again, like you said, every, every fan base does it. The New Zealanders probably went too hard at Wayne Barnes after um, the 2007 World Cup uh, in the four-pass incident. And I'm sure there's some New Zealanders that messaged him and, and social media obviously wasn't as big back in that day, but would have liked to send personal jibes at him and it's never okay. It just seems to be heightened with the South African bunch. They seem to take things so personally. And I'm always off the thing, and I'm sure you are too, of the referee makes decisions in a game. If you're really a good enough team, you'll find a way to win the game. Like, let's look at that Australian incident with the um, Bledisloe. You shouldn't have been down by 30-odd points to have to fight your way back and then lose the game, you know? You could have kicked the ball out straight away, won the line and done it. You could have done all these things differently. In the end, if the referee decision cost you the game, like, you haven't won the game on your own as well. They may have lost you the game, but you haven't won it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, 100%. And... Yeah, I, the, with the with the whole Facebook comment thing about you know they should be held accountable, sure. But accountability doesn't mean uh, physical threats and and harm and things like that. Like absolutely, we have talked about that there needs to be a higher standard for referee. But we've also said that it's not just the referees that are the issue; it's the, the laws of the game as well that are the issue. So it's not it's you can't always you can't even place everything squarely on the shoulders of referees like. Uh, there's been so many comments recently about how the laws of rugby need to change, how world rugby is looking into it, et cetera, et cetera. So to say that the, the, uh, that the referees are so bad and are so responsible for any failings of the game that physical harm should be visited upon them is hyperbole second to none. Like it is yep. a ridiculous extension of logic. And yeah, it, it, it's, it, you know, we used to have, uh, if you were bad at your job, you would have physical harm threatened on you. That's called slavery. That's what slavery was, <laughs> right? You know, that's back before we had any kind of workplace laws, any kind of health and safety things where you're working at a factory in 1800s England. And if you did a shit job, they'd break your fucking kneecap or they'd yep. come and t they'd take some of your teeth and sell them off to make up the money that, that you lost or they just wouldn't pay you and things like that. If any employer did that to you now, like even if an employer... Uh, said to you, hey, you did a bad job today. We're docking your pay. You'd be really pissed off about that. You'd think that's very unjust, and you'd you'd fight that as well. And that's just simply docking your pay. You know, if they came and gave you a bad performance review, you'd be upset about that. But if your employee came to you and said, hey, Steve, taking a name around him, hey, Steve, right, uh, 
your your job today you you cost us uh you, you cost us big time in that deal uh you fell through so uh we're torching your house in fact we've already done it we've torched your house uh your little schnauzer was in there uh snowball he's gone as well um dumb name for a dog as well snowball and uh fuck you um and then just walked off you just you you wouldn't be just like well should have done my job better if i'd only done my yeah. job better this wouldn't have happened to me I'm just thinking of another job in the world now, and I'm trying to picture it, that's not an official in any other sport, where you would get like that level of abuse and it would just be like a news story. Like imagine like if politician. someone said that, a politician, there you go, yeah, another good example of but someone again, they very make decisions. similar. They're, they're, politicians, I mean, are, are sort of like uh, officials and referees, but just for much bigger issues. Yeah, for, for world issues. Um, yeah, yeah, but that's a good example. Like, you know, like we are treating referees like a politician when those decisions, like you said, is based and, off a game. And the game. reason I make that parallel as well is because politicians have had it taken a step further. Again, they are concerned with bigger issues, but it started out with threats. But we've they, politicians get murdered left, right, center, not so much yep. here in Australia, but in the US and England, two first world nations, we're not even talking about developing countries or countries with a huge amount of political instability, although the US, you could argue that, but we see politicians <laughs> get murdered there. Like in the UK a few years ago, a conservative politician was murdered on their front door. Like yeah. there is, or there might've been Labour, I'm not sure, but a politician was murdered on their front door. I'm not sure which party they belong to. They were murdered on their front door. Like that is, that is where this sort of stuff can go. That is where yeah. uh, rhetoric these days, and, and it's it's really an, an overall sort of world issue now, where and it's to do with all clickbait culture and things like that, where we have to really jazz things up or really make headlines so attention grabbing, so hyperbolic, uh, to in order to get people's attention. And so you blow a lot of these issues out of it, out of uh, out of proportion in terms of how important they are, and so people start feeling more and more strongly about it, and more and more like they need to take extreme action to correct what they see as a massive injustice and so that's where it comes back to uh, to Rassi and that's where it comes back to other uh, commentators and uh, media personalities and writers or any you know individuals people of influence within, within the game where that's where your rhetoric on these things needs to be examined yeah definitely couldn't have put it better myself shall we talk about some nicer rugby things yeah, now let's, that let's, let's, let's move on to something a bit nicer but final word on this is just uh, look, if you feel pissed off about a decision uh, in a rugby game, if you feel very frustrated, uh, message the, us at the sports booth on our Instagram, Facebook chat. We'll have a great rant to you about that. If you if you if you're not a fan of us, if you're just seeing this randomly, chat to a mate. You know, chat yep. to anyone. Don't go and attack the referees. You know what's a what I do all the time is even just teams, uh, social media, and Facebook things. I, I will just comment on my teams when they're just like. That was a stupid decision. That's it. You don't need to go there like, wow, Flaufoyinga can't throw in a line out straight. I'm going <laughs> to chop up his hand. So that maybe he'll learn with a fake hand to throw a line out straight. That's not something you do, right? Uh... That's crazy, right? And the other reason I'm thinking of that is because I'm trying to think of something comparable to what these psychos have threatened Wayne Barnes with. And yeah. it's like, as I'm saying it, I'm like, this is a psychotic thing to say. <laughs> I feel disgusting saying this. Like, but there are other outlets to go down. Like, message us at the sports booth with your frustrations about the game. Message your mate with your frustrations about the game. Message your family. Message anyone your frustrations about the game and how you think the decision was stupid. But don't threaten the referee. Don't threaten the players. Don't threaten the teams. Don't threaten anyone. Just in general. Just don't threaten yeah. anyone. 
you know. Couldn't agree more. Actually, I'm going to add to that. If if you if you do want to, you know, really, you know, go after what you're saying, and if you believe that, pick up a, re- a whistle and become a referee yeah. and show us how it's done. If you reckon it's that exactly. that easy, um, or message us and your frustrations and Hughes, uh, you. I'll, Bust them onto Hughie to reply. Yeah, um, or, or, or we might read out some really good rants on the podcast if you come up with anything spectacular. Like I love nothing more than reading out a good rant or listening to a great rant about sports. Listeners of the podcast will know. <laughs> I love to go on a good rant myself, right? And that's a great uh, way to get your frustrations out without threatening innocent women and children, people who didn't even referee the fucking game. <laughs> like, so there okay. you go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's lots Let's... of options. We're here to support you as well, guys. So anger management, strategies for it, and we here at the Sports Booth are completely accredited to help. <laughs> let's get let's get let's get you onto a, a good buzz, my friend. Your two oh, favorite yes. teams. Um Two, two uh, did, how were you? This country. Yeah, the how were you able to control yourself? I don't know. I was excited. <laughs> I was viewing the Waratah story all day. When I saw Zach Lomax and Tane Edmund kicking goals together, it's amazing. Jack Bird, uh, next, uh, Jack Bird getting into it with uh, Lockie Swinton, Tyrell Sloan next to Hurtley Beal. It's amazing. <laughs> for, for, I had no idea this was coming. For, for those who don't know, I'm going to quickly run you down and then I'll let Husey have his absolute lover boy moment of his two teams coming together. So. The Waratahs posted out of nowhere. I thought it was just a fictional team. Like they were like, about this was going to be our best 13. But they named a 13 man squad to do a training session with the Dragons. So the Waratahs being Husey's Super Rugby team, the Dragons being Husey's NRL team, um, came together and did a training session together, uh, which has A, been great for content, and B, yeah. Been absolutely fantastic for some of the videos you've seen. The dragons attempting a line out. Yeah. There was even a scrum, I think, put down. Um, I love. I lo- absolutely love this. This has got Darren Coleman's name written all over it. Um, just an, an absolute mastermind of getting stuff ticked over like this. Um, but yeah, I will let you kind of take it away with your two favorite teams and what you saw and how much you enjoyed it. It was great. I'm so happy that of all the NRL teams that the the Waratahs could have picked, they picked the Dragons, right? Like, you think the majority of the NRL teams are here uh, in 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 New South Wales and even within Sydney themselves, you know? Like, uh, and the Roosters share a ground with them as well, right? South yep. Sydney's close by as well. Like, uh, Manly, that's an area where a lot of rugby union players come from as well. Like, but they picked, a, they picked the Dragons, which I think is a smart move uh, as well because it reaches a broader audience um, and it, and it poaches a little bit into NRL territory there because the Illawarra is a NRL heartland. Um, but it's great for both teams, I think. I think the uh, the the Dragons can learn a lot from the Waratahs' physicality. I think the Waratahs can uh, learn a lot from the Dragons' sort of attacking uh, creativity as well, uh, That you know, particularly from the likes of like a, a Ben Hunt and some of the, the young players. I think this, this overall benefits the Dragons more than the Waratahs. Um, I think the Waratahs are a little bit more put together and stable than the Dragons are now. But for both teams and for both codes, great publicity, uh, great content, things like that. Great few interviews have come out from it. Um, I read one uh, from Aaron Woods where they were asked, you know, you reach it towards the end of your career, you're considering maybe spending a couple of years in rugby union. He just basically said, fuck no, they are way too big for me to, to want to play next to. Um, and, and yeah, just great stories of, you know, Mentorship, you see uh, Kurtley Beal with Tyrell Sloan having a chat and things like that. You know, 
Kurt Deville, obviously an Indigenous icon uh, in Australian sports, and, and Tyra Sloan, an up-and-coming Indigenous player and things like that as well. Um, and, and yeah, overall, I think it's just a great uh, knowledge sharing for the two codes that are so often at odds that, you know, why not uh, unite a little bit? Why not, uh, you know, share... Uh, the glory shared a limelight a bit there's, and showed that there's room for everyone um, except for AFL. And that's great. That's what <laughs> I loved about it. Um, you know, we even, you know, all the codes were uniting for uh, the the soccer slash football World Cup. Everyone was enjoying that. And then what does the AFL do? They go ahead and release this uh, week one schedule um, while Australia is playing Argentina in the round of 16. Just pissing everyone off at the AFL uh, for trying to take the glory away from the football. So we can all unite and agree. AFL's fucking stupid, and uh, we'd be better off without them. Anyway, uh, back <laughs> onto the uh, Super Rugby, uh, the the Tars and the Dragons. As yeah, long as you don't message anyone there, there yeah, then we're yeah. all right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And look, AFL's a prime example of... I know we're jumping back into it, but AFL's a prime example of abuse in sports uh, with the amount of stories that have come out uh, of that and players, in, particularly Indigenous players, retiring. It's horrific. Anyway... Tars and the Dragons, look, I think this is great. Hopefully, it leads it led to some great um, uh, knowledge and experience between the two teams being shared and learning from each other because I think there's things that the two codes can learn from each other. I mean, look at when Israel Folau, uh joined the Waratahs and joined the Wallabies. He not only brought uh, his, his raw athleticism and his just pure athletic ability, but also the skills he learned from rugby league and it opened up more of a rugby league style for the Waratahs where they're kicking for him in goal and things like that, like you would see uh, a Daniel Tupo doing and things like that as well. So uh, hopefully both of my teams have learned something from this and have successful 2023 seasons. Yeah, I mean, I don't hope for that, but it was it was good. It was good fun to watch. Um, talking about... hoping for a Waratahs Hurricanes final? Nah, not really. Uh, I'll take a Hurricanes you know one. you win. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Uh, who won last year? Buddy, uh, buddy, old pal. Buddy yeah. referees, just <laughs> <laughs> um, talking about a specific Waratahs player. Charlie Gamble has hit the uh, headlines this Cash. week um, because he has announced that he would like to play for the Wallabies. Uh, uh, classic, classic, classic. A not good enough player to make the All Blacks jump ship. Now the Wallabies snap him up and all of a sudden... I think oh, he's, yeah. he was very underrated within your system. We saw how good he was for the Waratahs this year. Yeah, he was about 20th on the picking order in New Zealand at the moment. I, no. yeah, but that's all politics, mate. That's all politics. <laughs> no, I mean, this is this is like... It was a really cool article to read about Charlie Gamble kind of... I don't want to say switching alliances, but you know what I mean? Like he moved to New yeah. South Wales. New South Wales gave him his opportunity. He's in de- debt to New South Wales rugby and therefore Rugby Australia who, you know, own control. I, I, think that's a, I think that's a really cool kind of story and a really cool kind of uh, thing to see. And we see a lot with, I mean, we saw a lot in this uh, football World Cup where, you know, players that have moved to different countries or they've grown up in these countries play, play football for them. Um, although they might have heritage elsewhere. Um, but we're also seeing um, it, it's kind of a reverse of what we saw in the NRL with the suit, with the uh, state of origin stuff. Um, no, sorry. It's, it's sort of similar to what we've seen in the state of origin stuff in that these folks have moved to a place or they've, um, they've grown up there. And so they feel they owe, uh, they 
um, have some allegiance there for, you know, like we saw a lot of Samoa boys play for New South Wales origin because they grew up in New South Wales, but they also felt ties back to Samoa. Uh, but some of them didn't, you know, like Tino is, is an example who played for Australia. He felt he owed his allegiance to Australia. And I think it's great. I think there's nothing wrong with either of those approaches. I think no one can tell you what you feel, how you feel, where you feel, you know, where you feel your allegiance lies and, and, and anything like that. And so yeah, stories totally. like this are, uh, are great, I think. And exactly right. It's about showing how, um, how New South Wales and how Australia has embraced Charlie Gamble. For me, I love him. He's one of my favorite players to watch just from this previous year because of how entertaining he is. Uh, on and off the field, and, it, and it's rare to find that where uh, where they're just as entertaining off the field, but for the right reasons. Um, yep. So yeah, you know, kudos to him. Uh, it'd be difficult for him to crack the wall of his lineup, but uh, look, with how he played last year for the Waratahs, it'll only take a couple injuries, and he could be on there. Yeah, uh, I, I really love that in the article they were saying you know he's 26 years old, so when he first cracked into the Crusaders like academy, he was training with the likes of Richie McCaw, Kieran Reid, and now he's in the Waratahs with the likes of Michael Hooper. <laughs> and that's that's quite the the crossover, isn't it? You've got one of, you know, the greatest New Zealand flanker of all time, probably, and the greatest Wallabies flanker of all time, most likely. Um, and he's played with both. So, yeah, um, it would be cool to see, to see him get the uh, Waratahs opportunity. Like you said, it's... Uh, what and like a beast the the other two hundred odd two hundred kegs was it yeah so like he's that. he's he's definitely a mammoth and he's a, he played really well this this year I, but I'm again happy that I can do one twenty like trying to do two hundred I can't even fucking imagine like even me I can't imagine what my high my highest is one seventy and I'm nowhere near that at the moment but yeah. that two hundred is there like when you see those props lift and they're like two fifty to three hundred and you're just sitting there or even you look at some of those NFL running backs and you're like Nick yeah. Chubb. Squatting like 300 kilos is a you're like oh, genetics, man. Um, <laughs> us little old white boys struggling with the 120s on our back. Um, yeah, I just I thought that was cool to a cool little story, Charlie Gamble. Yeah. Uh, I did want to just give a quick shout out because it's going to lead on to our, our next topic to the European Cups Championship um, that's been played the past couple of weeks, where you've seen you know the South Africans. Super rugby sides now, URC sides. It's like the the, the uh, pools, very much like the Champions League um, for football. Uh, all the European rugby teams come together and play off uh, for a chance to win um, the Heineken Champions Cup trophy or whatever it's called. But there's been some fantastic matches and it is really entertaining to see these cross competition games so like the top French teams we're seeing you know the top English teams the top English teams playing the top URC teams now you chuck in that South African mix um it's fascinating to watch first year South Africans have been allowed in it uh it's 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 it's, an, it's been amazing to watch, and so this leads me on to the next point. We obviously just talked slightly about Super Rugby of your Tars and Charlie Campbell. There is now uh, a discussion of making a new Asian league. So we've got Japan versus the League One. We have uh, obviously Super Rugby, and now there's going to be called the Grand League, which is going to make up eight clubs from Asia, uh, believed to be in and around Hong Kong, South Korea, Malaysia, Thailand, and the Philippines as a grand league um, is what they're calling it. Uh, Starting in 2024 is the belief. So it's definitely pushing that idea of Asian rugby, Asian Pacific rugby, um, and we can hopefully maybe sometime soon see an Asian Champions Cup, Asian Champions thing. Um, 
because I don't know, I haven't, I have put it there, and I'm going to get onto this now. Um, particularly with this Asian Champions Cup, I'm thinking if we again the the whole talk about the ghetto law, and we know this comes up on every podcast, but there's obviously been some. I guess I don't even know how to say it. News stories, especially across the ditch in in my hometown of of New Zealand, where Bowden Barrett supposedly asked for an exemption. There's a lot of stories going around that he got told no. The New Zealand Rugby Union hasn't decided. He hasn't asked for an exemption, all of this stuff. Basically, what he's asking is to get the ghetto law for himself, which is to go overseas, make some money, be able to play for the All Blacks still. Um, what I'm thinking is if we can get this Asian league going, there's no reason why we couldn't send players up to Japan especially. I can understand not sending them over to Europe, but to Japan um, and allowing them to play there and have this Asian you know, Super League where we also play midweek games or whatever it is every second week, just like the European teams do, um, how that couldn't work and how that could be beneficial for the game, especially for these players to make some money. Um, and then, like, you know, we can definitely start to, I guess, get rid of that, get a law of, if we're focusing on those those Asian teams. Um, so that's kind of what I'm hoping. I'd love to hear your opinion on it as an Australian, obviously, who's already battling this. I don't know where it's going to go in the New Zealand perspective. I am against it currently, Bowden Barrett getting an exemption. I, I defi- I've got no problem with him asking. Like, the worst that New Zealand rugby can say is no. Like, yeah. if you know what I mean. Like, people who are like, oh, it's disrespectful to ask. I saw an article by Stephen Donald that it'd be the worst thing for rugby. If they decide to give him an exemption, it does open up a can of worms for New Zealand rugby that we are yet to open. But I also saw a very good article about the French football team who... We just saw made the World Cup, won the World Cup before that, and have theoretically one good team in their league who hasn't won the Euro, uh, UEFA Champions League in a very long time, uh, if ever. I don't think they ever have. So it's not like their league is the pinnacle of their sport, but currently the international team is the pinnacle of the sport. The same with Argentina. Not a lot of those, none of those Argentinians will be playing in the Argentinian league. They will all be playing overseas. So. How do you get the best of both worlds? I'm unsure at the moment. From a man who's dealing with it currently, please let me some give me some insight. What should I be expecting? Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I, I, I'm very surprised that New Zealand rugby hasn't had to deal with this uh, before. Um, but I think New Zealand rugby players is probably starting to realise their monetary value a bit, like. Uh, a bit, maybe a little bit later than um, what Australian rugby players have, and maybe because there has been um, more importance placed on an All Blacks jersey than there has been on a Wallabies jersey. Now, I'm not saying that people that play for the Wallabies are any less passionate about playing for the Wallabies than uh, uh, than New Zealanders who play for an All Blacks jersey, but I'm saying that Australia is a bigger country than New Zealand, and I would argue it's probably got a better connection to the rest of the world. New Zealand does. I, I, as a New Zealander, you can feel free to comment on that, but I feel like Australia is a bit more uh, cosmopolitan than New Zealand is. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, yep. so Australia is a bit more connected with the rest of the world, and I sort of feel like Australia is a bit of New Zealand's connection to the rest of the world. Um, and I, I know just from work side of things that a lot of stuff to do with New Zealand, we just handle because we're in Australia and they don't want to contact someone in New Zealand uh, and, and, and pay that extra money because – we're so close and we're so closely aligned that you may as well do that. And so I feel like it's a bit like that um, sort of culturally as well, where New Zealand's a bit more insular. And so all black status 
is been the pinnacle for a long time. But I think now where the world is growing small every day, um, everyone's seeing things from all around the world uh, more and more every day. Uh, you know, a, a player like Bowden Barrett, you know, one of the greatest rugby players uh, in the world at the moment, right? Uh, for a sport that is international level, uh, you know, you'd be looking at sports like football and you're seeing that, you know, these guys like Messi, Mbappe, Ronaldo uh, are getting recognition all, all over the world. And even within Australia, uh, you know, the Socceroos, after their performance, guys like Harry Sutar uh, getting um, that that recognition elsewhere. Um, and you've got to be thinking, you know, your average person in the street probably has, hasn't heard of me before. Uh, I'm not getting that level of, uh, of fame and, and maybe money that for what I put into this game that maybe I should be getting. And, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of Australian rugby players, they realize that there is, has been limited, uh, limited money within the super rugby pool. And so that's why they've gone to European games. You know, there's sort of, I've done my time <clears throat> for the Wallabies, but I sort of need to take care of myself now because unlike football, uh, I feel like rugby takes a heavier toll on your body, right? I think that's pretty fair to say, um, given yep. the sheer number of collisions. And yes, I know there are injuries in football. I know people do get seriously hurt in football, but it's not the same as rugby, particularly around things like concussion and things like that as well. So long-term injury effects from rugby are quite severe. So it's important to be able to set yourself up to be able to provide for yourself later in life. You know, How many stories have we heard, and especially coming out now, with ex-NRL players and how the CT has affected them in later life and all the treatments they've had to go through and things like that. Um, you know, obviously there's a whole investigation into rugby at the moment with head injuries, everything like that. So you, it, there's a bit more of a, uh, I, I think, a uh, you need to look a bit more towards your own financial status in, in rugby as well. And I think that's what's starting to happen in New Zealand rugby, something that happened in Australian rugby a few years ago, um, hence the Giddo Law name, where you need to look outside of your home territory and see, I could be making more elsewhere to support myself better down the line. Um, and I don't think what I'm getting now is what I'm t actually worth. Like, I could be doing a bit better. I, and look, if... I, I think as well, if rugby was at the same status level as as football, where you know you are getting, um, I, I I I I think football is a good example to sort of look at there because it's pretty widely recognised that the EPL is the pinnacle of of football, right? You know, La Liga is up there as well, um, and of course you've got the Bundesliga in Germany, but the Premier League is the is is the pinnacle uh, of of football, really. And of course, you know, the in UEFA Championships, teams from other um, countries, of course, win all the time there as well. But in terms of the sheer level of competition, the that's probably seen as the pinnacle. Um, and it's still a functioning and, of course, very profitable sport. And of course, we still see the the national teams. Uh, still exceptional as well. Like Argentina clearly hasn't suffered from Messi playing for Paris Saint-Germain, right? Um, so if we had something like that, the 
um, the top 14 in France, uh, which is the, I believe the, the most paying rugby um, union league or maybe yep. the Japanese league, but let's say the top 14 becomes like the EPL where this is where the players all go to, to make their money. This is where you make it big um, and things like that as well. Uh, and then come back to play for the national sides. You know, we see it work in football. Why can't it work for rugby is my yep. question. And then, so I, I feel like the things like the Giddo law uh, are, are bad. I do agree, though, that there shouldn't be exceptions made, right? You, if you have a rule, you stick to the rule, but I don't agree with the rule. So yep. if if the rule currently would be that Bowden Barrett couldn't play for the All Blacks, got to stick with that rule, but I think that's a dumb rule. Yeah. Uh, you've made some really good points there that I want to touch on and lead on to our next point as well. Um, obviously, yeah, like you said, the black jersey, it, it may not mean more, like, like we've said. it doesn't. I don't think it means more for the players putting it on, but when you have the likes of like Richie McCaw, who's you know Kevin Mealam, all of those players who came before who are willing to stay long-term in the black jersey and do that rather than go overseas, like you said, I think the Aussies clicked on a bit more that, hey, we can make some money overseas, whereas the All Blacks were... I guess a bit more to, hey, you've got to say New Zealand, you've got to commit to New Zealand rugby. You're 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 passing on this legacy of New Zealand rugby rather than the Wallaby guys who were like, well, look, I can make an extra, you know, yeah. three hundred, four hundred k playing overseas, and that's exactly what I need to set myself up. And with Bowden Barrett, to go to example, he's had his concussion symptoms before and issues before. Um, I think what you've said is realistically what we're all starting to realise and what New Zealand rugby has been doing for a long time, but hiding it away and it's slowly coming to, I guess, the the front and to everyone's vision is the All Blacks are a business. The All Blacks are a business. As much as, you know, they want to keep that spiritual vibe to it and the All Blacks are this team of, of players, they're a business. And players are starting to realise they are part of that business and actually... They have a lot, give a lot of value to that business. Without the players, there's no team. Without the team succeeding, there's no business. You know, if the All Blacks weren't as good as they were, they wouldn't yeah. be making the money that they are. And so this, to me, then goes, okay, same thing. I guarantee Argentina football just made a shitload of money. I guarantee anyone who sponsored them made a shitload of money. You know, like there's every little thing like that will come into play now that Argentina's won the World Cup. Same with the All Blacks. And why wouldn't you want to give yourself the best advantage? To me, I 100% agree with you. It's hard to make exemptions now, but it does need to be looked at what can be done. That's why I like the idea of this Asian Super League type thing where we can say, hey, stay in this part of the world. We can still come together for training camps. You're not... 24 hour, you know, 14 hour flight away, and it's going to be tough on your body to do it. But there it is. It does lead into the the thing, and what I'm saying is a business now with Outrad, who's the main sponsor for the All Blacks, the main sponsor for France, the main sponsor for the Western Force, ha- uh, their owner, starter, founder, whatever you want to call him, has been sentenced to 18 months in prison for corruption. Um, so that's Moed Outrad, uh, and you'll see the new new All Blacks jersey, the sponsorship, um, a mega deal. I hated the fact that, A, we firstly got sponsored by a French person, and B, they were also sponsoring the French team. That, to me, was, again, a sign that this is a business. Like, like New Zealand rugby is a run to make money, Again, they don't care so much about the player if it's going to 
hurt or help the business. It's, it's, that's what they're caring about. So this has actually led on as well to Laporte. Uh, you'll know him. He was the bald French man. If you don't know him, he helped get the Rugby World Cup to France in 2007 and now is the president of the French uh, Football Rugby Union, whatever it is. He's also received a two-year suspended um, for corruption, uh, for ha- pretty much helping out Outrad complete his corruption. I have gone into the depths of what the corruption is, but basically it seems like these two guys have been caught out to very pinnacle players in the world of rugby, Outrad especially with the French rugby to top 14. It's not a good look for rugby, and it's, it's funny. I, I sat there and I did have a little laugh to myself. I go, you know... The NRL offseason, you'll get, you know, some drunken mistake. This happened. Someone got into a fight. Rugby union offseason. Corruption in the highest form of the game. It's like just two separate sports, ain't it? God. Um, But, yeah, it's all of this is just making me look. We're we're in a business now like this. Everything in rugby is a business. How can we make money as much as – you know, I play it for passionately. You, you before before your ribs gave out, and you played it passionately. We are in a, in the world of business, and it's the same thing. Even for you look at our rugby club, all the way down to Knox, they they may be making money, but in the form, it's a business. You know, how can you bring players in? How can we do yeah. this? How can we do that? Every single club in the whole world is is a business, and as much as you may not want it, like you've said, it's moved to this direction with the availability of seeing people, seeing things, content getting created, all of this stuff. We're in the business world. I see what Bowden Barrett's trying to do and and definitely trying to make good of his ability and his, um, I guess, presence in the rugby world. I see what New Zealand Rugby Union's trying to do, trying to protect themselves and stuff, but this is going to only become a bigger conversation because there'll be the next, you know, the next big thing, 22-year-old, you know, has played like three or four games for the All Blacks, absolutely tearing it up. It's going to be the next big thing. And a club over in France go, let's sign him to a 10-year, you know, $20 million deal. And he'd be yeah. stupid not to take it. Like, you know, that sets him up for life. You know, he may not, you know, get what he wants and win a, you know, a Rugby World Cup with the All Blacks, but it's a business now. Like, we are literally going into a business. Some of these players are starting to realise it. It takes one smart enough to go, you know what, the black jersey isn't what it used to be with the meaning behind it. I just I just want to play rugby and get paid to do it. And and, and even even if you could say the black jersey is the same as it ever was and it's the pinnacle of uh New Zealand rugby. It's a, it's almost the pinnacle of New Zealand life, right? To be yep. an all black, right? But you're realizing that New Zealand life isn't life. You've got health, you've got uh you've got bills to pay, everything's getting more expensive, inflation health long-term health issues with being a rugby player like yes it might be the pinnacle of stuff that you can um achieve as a new zealand rugby player but um i think we're starting to see that people are starting to see themselves more as rugby players and less as new zealand rugby players or australian rugby players etc etc and you're realizing that as these businesses are taking care of themselves and not the players so too must the players look at themselves as individuals and take care of themselves as an individual and that might sound like a very selfish thing to say and like everyone's just looking out for themselves these days. I don't think that's, I, I think that's a very extreme view to take. You still see people putting it all on the line for their country and things like that as well. So, uh, and you see the example, great example with Charlie Gamble. He didn't need to put his hand up to say he liked to play uh, for the Wallabies, but he felt so strongly that about how much he cared about Australia and living in Australia that he wanted to do that anyway. So uh, I think it's a little bit more of players, um, 
sort of becoming more like uh, NFL or soccer players where they realize that they are a valuable commodity and need to have a bit more of a business sense about themselves and not just a, uh, a sports person personality. It's the same. I think NRL players have caught on to that for a few years and that's what rugby union players are doing now. Well, yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe some of the Waratahs heard that from the Dragons that they're training. <laughs> well, the NRL players, you know, th- this might be the first NRL lockout we get in a while because they haven't agreed to the um, whatever the deal is, the collective yeah. bargaining agreement. I know that's what they call it over the states. I don't know what they're calling it here. Again, it's just that's another thing of these rugby league players have realised that it's a business and they need to take their opportunities when they come. Um, yeah. Talking about non-business things, and probably the only time it is in a business, is schools. And yeah. Hamilton Boys won the World Schools Festival, beating Grey College, Grey's College in um, South Africa. Funnily enough, I jump on um, to the Rugby Pass article that's there about it, and uh, the first Facebook comment is, Barker would have beaten everybody. And I was like, <laughs> man... Uh, I would have loved to seen some Australian team there, and that would have been fascinating to watch. Like yeah. again, I know it was an invitational, and it was again, it was high quality stuff. Like there's been some really great content come from it. Um, and again, I I, I want to push the idea that I'm not that into school rugby being televised too much, but I think something like this was fantastic for the game. Um, where you know, it's not the be all or end all. Like you're you, you're. Hamilton boys probably cared more about winning the New Zealand Championship than winning this, if you know what I mean. Like, this yeah. was just a fun getting teams together, getting these kids to travel and play rugby, uh, th- a great I, experience. I think that is a, is a great idea, and I would love to see Australian teams evolve. And I'd love to see um, Australian schoolboy rugby maybe, not necessarily televised, but the results and stuff pushed here a bit more. I think the Waratahs do a great job of showing New South Wales schoolboy rugby results on their page. That's how I keep up with schoolboy rugby mostly. Uh, and yeah, to see something like you have your, cause you've got your different, um, school competitions, but then have a top team of each competition, uh, play in a tournament to figure out the team who's going to go for this invitational kind of thing. I think that would be amazing. Um, uh, and yeah, it, then it fosters those international connections as well between schoolboy players who then might play on the same super rugby team one day or might play against each other, a uh, future Wallaby and a future all black kind of thing. Like, yeah. I think that's totally. great. And then as well, what it is, is a good opportunity for these players who are good enough to be at the top of schoolboy rugby but not make it to the next level to still have one of those, some a glory moment like that where they could say, I went and I traveled internationally for, for rugby kind of thing. Like, 100%. For, for example, I played the violin as a kid. I wasn't amazing at it, but I was in my school orchestra and we went to New Zealand for a trip. So I got to say, I travel internationally to play music. So there you Figure go. You can, mate. It's great for the. It's, it's, I need to put that in my um, in your CV? profile bio. Or international musician. Yeah, I played the violin in New Zealand when I was 11. <laughs> and I was damn good at it. That's what you got to say. I was bloody good at it. The New Zealanders couldn't believe what hit him. <laughs> uh, we we talked Never about him. Violin before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're an asshole. Um, uh, we, we've spoken a lot about speaking this, of assholes. <laughs> yeah, this man recently. Uh, we would never message that to him, but we'll say it on the podcast. Uh, Eddie Jones. Uh, it has been confirmed for a rugby podcast source, so that means pretty much nothing. That two NRL clubs have made serious inquiries about luring Eddie Jones to the NRL to coach their clubs. Um, no, this was this was. The NRL uh, journalist, Michelle Bishop, uh, who told SEN Radio. Now, I went along all the clubs and I went from 
you know, the one to sixteen or seventeen now, and thought, what two clubs could this be? And I only came up with three clubs. Yep. All right, the Knights, who have Adam O'Brien as their coach, who's woeful, um, but they've got him signed in for like a three or four year deal. So I don't think he'll be going anywhere. My Titans, who have Justin Holbrook, and I think if we start off poorly, that's not a like again. It doesn't it wouldn't surprise me. And I, uh, I'm a fan of Justin Holbrook. It's never. I think it's just if they underperform again under him, I, I don't think it's his fault. I'm going to say that. I'm going to come out of the bat. And then your club of the Dragons, obviously, uh, those are the only three teams I could think of. Like you look around, everyone else has got it sort of. The Warriors just signed theirs. Bulldogs signed theirs for the future. Panthers are good. Storm are good. You know, you go through the list. I don't see anyone else. So, I mean, all three of those teams could use a, a mastermind like Eddie Jones. Um, probably you guys, I was the least likely to. So I think it would be the Knights and Titans. Knights and Titans. If I was going to be a um, discussing anyone, I just think. The way you guys finished the season last year, finished ninth, and they'll give um, what's your coach's name? Hook, Jesus Anthony Christ, Griffin. Hook, yeah, Hook, uh, a, a chance to to start off the season well, and if he does, he won't be in, a, in in any rush. So I could only see the Titans and the Knights doing that, and I'd be surprised. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, it wouldn't surprise me if the Dragons had contacted him about an advisory role, probably not the head coaching job. And as well, to dive into a little bit of rugby league uh, sort of action here for my Dragons, the chairman's stepped down, which I think is a big cultural shift for the club because he was is an ex-Dragons player. Um, and, of course, there was a whole lot of um, mess about his support for a convicted pedophile. So probably a good idea for him to step aside. Yes. Not only support, but he wrote a letter in support of him on Dragons, a Dragons letterhead paper. So, yeah. Good to sort of adding, yeah, yeah. So it's good that he's gone. Um, but the thing that's more indicative to me than anything about that is that two players who requested releases from the club, Tyrell Sloan and Jaden Sullivan, two young guns, uh, withdrew their request to leave and said, actually, we want to stay here and commit to being here because we have faith that the club will treat us right and we've got faith in the club going forward. I think that's a, a very, very good sign that the, this team feels like that they can compete because – uh, we've seen so many players, uh, you know, like rats off a drowning ship from other clubs, um, request releases and be granted them and just head off. Whereas the Dragons seem to have retained um, a we lot of players. We just signed Ben Murdoch Masilla. Did you see that? Yeah, we just friend? signed him to signed him today after the Warriors granted his. Well, speaking of which, the Warriors granted, granted him an early release, yeah. and he's come to the Dragons of all places. Uh, so uh, for me, that's a good signing. Yeah, for me, ha- happy days. Very good yeah. signing. Very very happy. Yeah. And yeah, look, uh, Rugby Union uh, Podcast. Rugby Union Podcast. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm just, I'm about to link it back to Rugby Union. Okay. Here we go. All right, Luke, I'm the master of segues. All right. And the reason, the other reason I've got such confidence in them is because they did do that joint training session <laughs> with the Waratahs now. So uh, they've got the best Australian Super Rugby team teaching them. Uh, uh, the best Australian everything. Super Rugby team. You didn't even get the furthest in the playoffs last year. I mean, the Brumbies, Brumbies are frauds. Brumbies are Brumbies frauds. Brumbies are frauds. And it'll be really I'm interesting. Yeah. I'm saying it now. Look, we're not even in our like 2023 preview or whatever. Waratahs top Super Rugby AU 2023. Did you Isn't see the Melbourne Rebels just signed the Leinster um, like Academy and Pathways coach from no, Leinster? So the Melbourne Rebels are making some serious moves. I I don't. They've decided to get their act together. I don't know what's happened. Finally, good. I hope they do. Like that's the thing. I I I don't even care if the other teams. Uh, 
which other teams do well. I just want the other teams to do well. Like the Force and the Rebels, when the Waratahs aren't playing, I'm rooting for them. Right? <laughs> and I, I will root for the Brumbies and the Reds when they're against uh, New Zealand teams. Yeah. Right? And back when we played the South African teams as well, I'd root for the New Zealand teams when they were playing against the South African teams. There's right? a hierarchy. Yeah, there is. You're not wrong. We might have to put out a, a graphic with what the hierarchy looks like. <laughs> this is how your supporter hierarchy looks like. Um, yeah. The only issue I've got now with Super Rugby is England have announced Steve Borthwick is going to be the coach of England. So it means Scott Robinson has re-signed with the Crusaders for another year. So it pretty much means that there's no point to have the competition because the Crusaders are going to win again. Because the last time know. the Crusaders and Scott Robinson didn't win, it hasn't happened. Yeah. Every well, time he's been with them, they've won. So, who beat the Crusaders this year? The Waratahs. Who's going who's gonna to win this year? Okay, uh, easy. It's, only, it's, it's just simple logic. There's only one man that can stop the Crusaders from winning it, and that is Artie Fucking Savia, and he will lead my Hurricanes to a title. Watch it here first. All it right. will be it will be Charlie Gamble and the Waratahs. Charlie Gamble is and he, that moustache. Yeah. Will you oh, will you get a Charlie Gamble? Will you get a Charlie Gamble moustache if Charlie Gamble leads your Waratahs to a title? Absolutely. Okay. Are you kidding me? I do. I do it. I I tell you what. I tell you what. I put this out there now. Feel free to tag Charlie Gamble in this now. If Charlie oh. Gamble follows Sports Booth for the next podcast after he does that, I will rock a Charlie Gamble moustache. All right. I'm going to tag it's, Charlie it's Gamble. And make sure it happens. What Artie Savier is to you, Charlie Gamble is to me. I no, that. that is a lie. I Don't you that. try and show my love like that. That that your love You're is not. You're already trying to replace Artie with a younger model. You're yeah, that's already a, trying to replace I'm him. preparing myself for heartbreak when he decides to retire. You know, I feel uh, like that's a good you know preparation. What? You know what? In true love, you don't prepare for if true love ends, Luke. All right, you stay committed to that true love to the end. You don't try and plan for the future. Are you going to go tell your partner, "Hey, we let's go get married," but also. I'm on Tinder just in case it doesn't work out, right? Because that's what you're doing. That's exactly <laughs> no, what no, you're no. Doing. That's you're not like, what I'm story. doing. I'm not actively scrolling, babe. But just in case, you know, like if, if it doesn't work out or if you get hit by a car, I just want to have my profile set up and ready to go. That's what you're saying. Imagine <laughs> if you said that to your partner. How? Her. She'd fucking kill you. How, 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 how's Michael Hooper feeling about you showing your love for Charlie Gamble? That's what I'm I, saying. See, the thing is, though. See. I don't feel like Michael Hooper would feel the same way. Is I Michael Hooper is too far above me to have those feelings about. Like that's like me saying like I'm I'm in love with Superman or I'm I'm in love with <laughs> Doctor Manhattan from uh, from Watchmen, right? Like he's just a being so far advanced and above me that my love would diminish him, and I I don't want that for him. Like Charlie Gamble, I love man to man. Michael I Hooper, see. I love man to God. Ah, I get it. So he's your God. So you sit there and you pray to to the hoops. I, I, I worship him. Worship the hoops. Yeah. I like that. All right. Well, okay then. Fair enough. Yeah. But I just wanted to be said that Adi Save is my God and my love man to man. He's actually said in a comment on TikTok that he loves Luke. So I don't know about you. Actually, another thing from our TikTok, the Blues, the Blues TikTok account were not happy that I ranked – Dalton Papaletti, number 90. They were not happy about that. And they commented 90 question marks. And uh, I was like, oh, a lot of people have been touchy on that one. So, And they won't be much happier when they see Rick Arani as Rick 27th. So um, we've made some enemies. They should, have, they, should, they should have beaten the Crusaders. That, that. That's the thing. I rode a you know boat. I, I rode a boat. One, one blue team already did it. The Warriors yeah, did it. Why can't exactly. you do it? Exactly. 
Exactly. So, you know what? Yeah, he should just be pushing for higher owners next year. That's yeah. all I'm saying. So, Charlie Gamble, hit me up. I'll rock a mo. <laughs> righty. No hesitation. No hesitation. No hesitation. Uh, that is us today. Thank you for joining us. Um, we will be back again. Um, I'll be across the ditch uh, next week, but we will get a podcast out to you. Uh, we yeah. will continue. It might this. be a little bit later next week, but we will. Get we'll one find one a way. One. When there's a will, well, there's a way. Exactly. If Charlie That's Gamble what? wants it, then Charlie I was Gamble will. <laughs> look, you know, if where if Charlie Gamble is our example, you know, he loved Australia so much, he came here to play rugby, and now he wants to be part of the Wallabies. That kind of will, you know, that desire for something and putting that desire out there, that's what we're all about here at the Sports Booth as well. So we have the will. We will find a way. We will find a way. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you later. Goodbye.